Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. This is Betsy, and you are listening to the Tend Her Wild podcast. Today, we have our very first interview, which we are so excited. I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, Kate, who's going to introduce our guest. Thank you, Betsy. Um, I want to welcome Lissy Morris, singer, songwriter, and the artist who is responsible for our theme song, Wild West, that you hear at the beginning of our show. So I'm going to share a little bit about Lissy, but welcome, Lissy. Hello. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here. Excited to have you. Lissy is an award-winning and acclaimed Illinois-born and Iowa-based singer, songwriter, and guitarist. Along the way, she's gathered nearly a quarter of a billion streams and received widespread critical acclaim from Enemy, The Fader, The Line of Best Fit, The Guardian, Salon, and NPR, who fittingly mused, Lissy seems like the quintessential California songwriter, but she's really from the Midwest. Lissy recently celebrated this connection on the 10th anniversary edition of her debut album, Catching a Tiger, and a retrospective compilation of unreleased formative material entitled Watch Over Me. She is currently working on a new album due out this year in 2022. So welcome, Lissy. We're thrilled to have you. Yes, thank you. I'm super happy to be here on this kind of wintry Iowa day. It is. And we're excited to have you because obviously Betsy and I are both born in Iowa. Uh, you were born just over the border, right? Uh, yeah, Quad Cities. Yeah. So tell us, Island. tell us a little bit about uh, where and how you grew up and, and kind of how your interest in music and your career kind of launched from your upbringing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I fully understand it, but I grew up in Rock Island, Illinois. So right across the Mississippi River from Iowa in the an area called the Quad Cities. So about an hour from Iowa City. And I'm the youngest of four. You know, my parents were high school sweethearts. My dad's uh, a retired physician and my mom um, was a teacher and did interior design. And my grandpa, my dad's dad, he was like an international barbershop quartet champion like singer um and a music no teacher. Way. yeah it's awesome yeah and I didn't witness that so much as then when I you know when he was older when I was a kid he did a lot of musical theater you know in the music man there's a bar- barbershop quartet so he was in a local production of that and so my sister and I um and my brothers too but they're you know a bit older than my sister and I um we would go to these various like productions and and musicals and things that my grandfather was in. Um, And everyone in my family on both sides actually is, you know, kind of naturally musical. So I think that for myself, you know, just being a little kid, seeing um, like stage productions and musicals, it made me really want to want to do that. I, I saw people up on stage singing and expressing themselves. And 
probably getting attention too, to be honest. And I was like, I want some of that attention. <laughs> so um, I think that through that, I started taking singing and dancing and acting classes and um, doing kind of group group plays in, in the Quad Cities and kind of just fell in love with uh, performing and, and, you know, using my voice to connect with an audience um, was something from a young age I really felt moved to do. You and you were Annie or in Annie at one point, right? Yeah. So I had done like, um, you know, some smaller productions and then there's a actually like a professional dinner theater in Rock Island called uh, Circuit 21 Playhouse that had, you know, actor like regional actors who had done national tours. And so it was it was, you know, a professional endeavor. And um, of course, a lot of the child actors were local. Um, but I had done Music Man at Circa. And then um, that next year, you know, they were going to do Annie. And I was nine. Uh, I was kind of like the perfect, it was kind of just the perfect moment in time that uh, I was at the age where I went out to audition for Annie and I got the part and I did 82 performances of um, what you did Annie. 82 performances. <laughs> I did. I was did you nine. like not do school that year? No, and I still went to school. So we had matinees on Wednesdays, but I, you know, I, I would do a, 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 at least one on some days too, um, productions and still was going to school. I mean, I wouldn't get home from like the performance until maybe like 10 o'clock at night. I was in fourth grade and I would go to school the next day and I had to miss school on Wednesdays to go and, you know, do the performance. And uh, it was really cool. I felt like it probably set me up for being a troublemaker though later on because I at nine and 10 years old was like able to kind of feel like an equal amongst adults and was entrusted with like a lot of responsibility. So it was kind of hard to go from that, like then just back to grade school. So fifth grade was a real bummer, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think it I mean, not a real bummer, but I did <laughs> notice that from there, kind of from there on, I, you know, and then through high school, there were like kind of maybe I try to reflect on it now. I don't quite understand it, but, you know, like authority, like kind of butting heads with adults and authority figures, because I think in my mind, I thought that I, you know, could, could handle myself and knew what was right for me and kind of, you know, had felt like, well, I had shown up and proven that I was responsible and could be trusted to make my own decisions and stuff. So uh, and then fifth grade and sixth grade, actually. I got my period in like sixth grade. So I think like those, those years, it was like grunge was happening. It was like the nineties. And so I got, that was sort of when I got kind of emo and stuff too. So <laughs> I don't know. I think there was like kind of after that big production and going back to like grade school, I think also what followed was then like, you know, kind of this cultural era of like melancholy and then also like hormones and stuff. So perfect storm, right? Yep. So, and, and you've talked a lot about this, but your, your high school experience, um, maybe following that was kind of, you know, maybe not as easy as, or, um, something that you loved as much as maybe other kids or, and you were maybe ready to move on. Yeah. I mean, I think I try to have some self-awareness about it in retrospect, cause I'm sure I had somewhat of like a chip on my shoulder or an attitude. I mean, I don't think I was ever like outright disrespectful or I, I was never like, you know, 
I don't, I don't know. I think I just kind of felt like I, when people would say, well, this is the way it's done. And I'd be like, well, the way you're doing it doesn't really seem like the best way to do it. So I'm just going to do it the way I want to do it. And so after a cumulative amount of years in high school of really having at least a couple of run-ins with some authority figure from year to year to year, I mean, by the end of high school, I was, I was pretty burnt out. I was skipping school a lot. You know, I never, I would try out for musicals. I never got cast in any parts. Like, I mean, there was just a lot of weird, I, you know, maybe I had an attitude, but also just kind of that small town. Like if you don't do it our way, like you're going to be an outcast or slash, like we want to squash your spirit, but you know, I don't, maybe kind of that Midwestern thing too. I moved away and now I'm back and I love it, but you know, if you're different or if you're trying to shine or if you're taking up too much room or talking too loud or any, you know, if you're, if you're admitting any sort of like stepping into your power. Yeah. 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 And you had a voice. Yeah. And it's like, there were a lot, I mean, a lot, a lot. I mean, I, I would say more than not a lot of the authority figures at my school and, um, they were just, it's almost, I mean, I won't go into a whole long story, but there were like weird stories of them, you know, almost the people who would decide who got into the musicals. Like I would get privy to conversations that these three teachers who did the auditions would agree ahead of time that under no circumstances was I to um, be given a prominent role, you know, like just weird, like, and, and cre and creepy. Cause I was a teenager, but you know, like, like kind of this conspiring like effort to like squish me and it didn't work even though I got kicked out of high school I mean it kind of just fueled my fire that's why I think you're our perfect first guest because that's what this podcast seriously is all about how we get contained and how I mean clearly you have such a deep talent and it's like people saw that, but they were scared of it. Or like you said, they wanted to squash my light or I couldn't really have a voice or I wasn't allowed to live outside of the box. And that's what we want to bring to light and just start to talk about like, why is that? And how can we change that? And how can we all actually step into our full light and potential? So other people then have permission to do that same thing. So thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. And thank you. I mean, what a beautiful conversation and it seems more important now than ever. So thank you for starting this podcast. It's awesome. And I'm just struck that you at such a young age recognized that because it didn't stop you, right? You moved on, went to college uh, in Colorado. Is that right? Yeah. So like after, you know, I got kicked out of high school and it was this whole big traumatic thing. I actually went to jail. I mean, it. I won't go into the whole thing about it, but I was it's, it really resonates with the, you know, the topic of this podcast is I was basically told by someone like, you have nothing to say, like be quiet. And I just like snapped and, and what the, the kind of consequence of that kind of me just snapping after four years of just feeling like silenced and squished was I got kicked out of school and I had to go to jail for like a few hours. Um, which was, I didn't even realize at the time how traumatic that was until more recently that it was like, my freedom was taken away from me. You know, my friends were taken away from me. All of these things that were really the consequence of me saying, no, I have a voice and I'm going to stick up for it. You know, the stakes were kind of high, but luckily, it, you know, it wasn't too severe and I, I was able to move on. I went to Colorado State for a couple of years 
did a semester abroad in Paris, and then I actually dropped out of college and I moved to LA to pursue music. And what a uh, an adventure for you that that really you know set you on a path to continue to really do music your own way. Yeah, I think, and I mean, of course, there's tons of twists and turns and ups and downs, and I'm sure missteps as well. But it's interesting to me because I think had I been the teenager that like was like the darling of the school, and I was the homecoming queen, and I was the lead of every play, and had it been like that, I mean, I don't think I would have been as motivated to follow my dreams. I mean, as kind of sad as that sounds, I think sometimes adversity is uh, a motivating fire for sure. Yeah, I absolutely believe that for sure, right? If it had mm-hmm. been easy for you, you might have ended up being in a completely different scene right now in your life. Yeah, or like thinking I was owed something or I don't know, like yeah, I think when you're just a little bit scrappy going into things, it does um, you know, it makes you want to work harder in a in a way. So, I mean, in a roundabout way, I'm kind of grateful for all of that, even though it was really challenging at the time. Yeah. Well, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And so I know we talk a lot about being a wild woman. Um, Do you consider yourself a wild woman? I do. I mean, I don't know if the word anymore is wild. I think I would have related to wild, but I think definitely like, like a kind of a self, not self-possessed necessarily, but like. Um, well, I don't know what the word would be. I could guess yes to wild for sure, but also just, you know, like wanting to, I mean, I guess maybe that was kind of like, in, you know, kind of independent and maybe kind of stubborn and yes, but yes, wild, but I'm trying to find the better version of it yeah. for this, this time in my life. <laughs> um, and like, I think the word wild, at least I would love to have this conversation with you has had a very pejorative tone to it for a long time, like that wild girl, Lissy, who got kicked out of high school, right? But the way we're trying to maybe reclaim the word wild is the wild is just like the essence of who you are, like who you truly are without the binds, without the the boxes or the expectations. So I actually think we're all wild. And I actually love that you moved to like the wilds of Iowa, right? Like yeah. Onto a farm. So, uh, you know, I, I sort of sense that we all have this wildness, but we're sort of scared to claim it because it has had kind of a negative connotation to it. That is such a good point. Cause I think, yeah, that word wild has sort of been like taken into the context of like a party girl or like girls gone wild or like, you know, like a celebrity that like gets in a drunken car crash or, you know, like, yeah, that word has really been co-opted to mean something way beyond what, um, you know, it sounds like in your way. And I read the brief as well with talking about the book that I have not read the, what is that book called again? Women who run with wolves. Yes. Women who run. With I wolves. am going to send it to you because every woman should read this book. I will send it to yes. you this week, Lissy. Thank you. Cause I see so many of my friends posting and about it and talking about how brilliant and empowering it is. Um, and I've yet, yet to read it. All right. So we have a question from this book for you because I, so this book has been out for a long time. Like it came out in the eighties. 
maybe, maybe late eighties, early nineties. And I remember taking it off my sister's shelf. She was quite a bit older than me and I looked at it and I wasn't ready for it, but I found it again, maybe eight, nine years ago. And like, just took it all in because it's so much wisdom about this sort of wild woman archetype. Mm. But the author of the book writes, her name is Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. And she says there are just like a few precious doors into the wild woman. So I want to see which door you took. So I'm going to read them to you. Okay. Okay. He says that if you have a deep scar, there's a door. If you have an old, old story, there is a door. If you love the sky and the water so much, you can almost not bear it. There is a door. And if you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, there is a door. So which door do you think you took? The deep scar, the old, old story. You love the sky, the water so much you can't bear it. Or you yearn for a deeper life, a fuller life, a sane life. I mean, this is the thing that's so hard because I feel like I relate really deeply to all four of those. I mean, I think I can see, you know, the the scar kind of speaking to like the pain sort of fueling the, you know, drive to be free and, and expressive. And then there's the old, old story. I mean, I think I kind of believe in this like epigenetic stuff that like we carry the trauma of our ancestors and we're like maybe here to like heal it. So there's an old story, I think that isn't even my own that I carry forth. Oh, and I love that line about this, you know, loving the sky so much, like you can barely stand it. I mean, I, I, I relate to that. I don't know. Do I have to pick one? No, I think maybe it <laughs> yeah. just proves you really are a wild woman. Let's see. Yeah. I think that's oh, what it man. proves. <laughs> well, what's, what's your, what's yours? Oh, that's such a good question. I agree that I relate to all of them. I mean, I have some pretty deep scars from my childhood. I totally agree with you that I know that I'm carrying ancestral lineage stuff that's not mine, but that I, for whatever reason, am on this earth to help clear out. Yeah. I have a teacher that says, when we heal ourselves, we heal back seven generations and we heal forward seven generations. I love that. I'm like really committed to my own healing work, not only for my ancestors, but for my children and their children and their children. And then I love the sky and the water. And I also yearn for a deeper life, a full life and a sane life. So I think I went through all four doors as well. So I am. You're thoroughly wild as well. (laughs) Like I'm curious, Kate, I don't think you, maybe you answered it in one of our first podcasts. What do you think for you? Yeah, I, it's interesting because I think the more aware conscious you are, you, you can probably identify, like you said, with all four of these, um, I'm definitely a seeker. So I, I kind of am drawn to the deeper life, full life, sane life. I think I have kind of always been someone who's seeking that and looking for the next, the next iteration of, of kind of my life, which, um, some people think is, you know, especially, you know, when it comes to your life's work, are you, you can't make a decision, but I think uh, as a seeker and someone seeking, you are, you believe there's something next and you're, you're drawn to that and, and maybe makes me willing to take chances um, because of that. So that one jumps out at me, but I, I'm also really, um, Lissy, Betsy and I just got back from Iceland, uh, which was our, wow. And I feel like I'm really connecting more with nature more than ever too. And I think that brings out the wild in me. That trip was um, kind of transformative for me and uh, makes me want more of the wild 
uh, outdoors. So that's a door for me too. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've never been to Iceland, but I have friends who go as much as they can and say, it's just like, I mean, and it's like, it's rugged and it is wild. It's like apparently just the most gorgeous place. I spend a lot of time in Norway, which is like, got like a really deep wild nature to it as well. But for sure. I mean, it's so humbling to step into spaces like that too, because it really puts everything into perspective and that there's a lot more to life than maybe the little boxes like that we do keep ourselves in, as you kind of mentioned before. So that's really cool. So I want to hear, I want to learn about Norway because what I have heard and what I've read is that you are like massive in Norway and the European market. And I'm like, so curious what that's like and what that means for you. And if you ever thought about moving there, um, tell us about like, you know, all those fans where you're so beloved in, in that area of the world, not that you're not oh, beloved yeah. here, but I'm so curious, <laughs> like about that, that particular portion of the world. Yeah. Well, and you know, now that COVID, you know, I was supposed to go to Norway in, in March and now it looks like that's going to get pushed to the fall. So, I mean, it's really like, I, it will be interesting to see after like two years of no concerts and I haven't put any new music out in four years. I mean, there is that underlying fear of like, ah, will people still come and are they still interested? Cause there's obviously just more content than ever in the world and a million and one things to like grab people's attention. But yeah, like in, at the beginning of my career, my first album, Catching a Tiger went gold in Norway and the UK and this song of mine, When I'm Alone, um, hit number one for like, you know, a day in Norway. And it kind of became like a, a song that's like in their, you know, kind of in their set of like cl- classics. Like it became a song that like people knew. And and years later, like, you know, people would still be like, oh, when I'm alone. And um, but Norwegians are cool because it's like I was you know, I felt famous there, but it's not like that. They don't really care about like fame. So it was never like, oh my God, you're Lissy. Like it just be like, oh, I like your song and I come to your concerts, but it always felt very like natural and easygoing and like, like the priorities were straight and, and there's a very natural quality, I think to, you know, not to generalize, but like to the people I've met there and and the relationships I have and how they as a country just seem to function and kind of have basic services that you think like, wow, this is so great. Why doesn't every country do this? Um, So, and it's just gorgeous. I mean, the fjords and the mountains and playing festivals there. I mean, especially the first few years when we were playing like the hippest festivals, like just the warm welcome we would get and these big stages that again, like looked out over fjords and like, uh, the sun, you know, the sun would be out until, you know, midnight and, and then it would rise again at like three in the morning and you'd still be awake and you'd go swimming and, you know, just really like, I felt so blessed of all the places in the world I could be popular. I'm like, ah, oh, I really like that it's here because people are just so chill and down to earth and it's just so gorgeous. And um, people make you, you know, you don't, there's not a lot of tood. Like sometimes you go to other parts of Europe and there's like, cool and tude and like you know we always just felt so welcomed and like people were genuinely appreciated that we come to to play and like just always felt like like open arms like just yeah I I can't I can't even quite 
explain it. It just uh, was a really incredible chapter of my life for about a decade to go over to Norway a couple of times a year. Um, and then to the UK a lot as well. And I love it there too. I, I've had success there, but Norway definitely you get like out into like, you know, up into Tromsø way North. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we were there like trying to catch the Northern lights and. Did you I mean, see them? Like, Have you seen them? Well, I didn't see them because I think sometimes you see pictures of them. And so you think that's what you're going to see. And I think my, my eyes aren't amazing. Um, my piano player, like he kind of saw him and he took a picture of him. And then when he showed me the picture he took of him, I could see him in the picture, <laughs> but I couldn't see them yeah. in real life. Well, tell us. So if we back up a little bit, you, you were in California for how many years? Yeah. So I, so yeah, in 2003, I had come back from, um, or early 2004, I guess I'd, I'd come back from studying, doing a semester in Paris. Um, and then I moved to Los Angeles in March of 2004 and lived in LA from like 2004 to 2009. And then in 2009, I moved about an hour and a half North to a town called Ojai, California. And I lived there till 2015 when I moved back to Iowa. So I was there for, I guess, about um, 11, 11, 12 years I was in California. And you were, you were kind of in the, you were in the music industry in kind of the more traditional sense out there. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kind of the long story short is like when I went to Colorado State, I was going to major in, in journalism, although I didn't even really get, get to that where I even was taking like the classes I needed to. Um, but while I was at Colorado state in school for like those two years, I was in class. Um, I was just going, you know, going to play open mics and ended up getting like opening slots for bands that were coming through town. And so really in Colorado was when I started, um, just kind of solo acoustic, just playing, anywhere and everywhere I could and like networking and I was out every night seeing live music and I ended up working at one of the music clubs. So then by the time I got to LA um, and I briefly went to like a, a music school called Musicians Institute. So it's not like you could, couldn't get a degree through it, but it was like an accredited kind of almost like, what do you call that? Like a trade school of sorts. Um, so I went to Musicians Institute briefly in LA for about six months, just when I moved there. Cause I didn't really know anyone. And I think my mom just thought it would be good for me to like there to be people who saw me every day, like to, that I showed, you know, like that I didn't go missing or something, you know, <laughs> like that there were people that were kind of keeping an eye out for me. Um, as I kind of just moved to LA alone at 21, like without really knowing anyone. <clears throat> so, um, but then I got pretty fortunate that, cause the goal was like, I'm going to get a record deal. And um, about a year into living in LA, I was playing a, a gig that I got through just kind of going to open mics and convincing people who ran nights to like, give me a shot. Um, I got a gig at this place called Genghis Cohen and was more or less discovered, um, by a woman who, you know, and then it gets really convoluted from there. It was like, I got a deal with you know, this guy who worked over at Adam Sandler's uh, production company, ha Happy Madison, which was on like a movie lot. So I like made my demo on this movie lot in Adam Sandler's recording studio and was able to get a deal with Guy O'Siri, who was running Maverick Records, which was Madonna's label. 
Um, and then had this sort of weird time where I was like singing it to me more in Ashton Kutcher's wedding and like was being invited to all these star studded things. But I was such an awkward weirdo that it's not like it stuck. And I ended up getting dropped from my record deal. But I had met my manager through the process, Peter, who I'm still with, like all these years later. Um, and then with Peter, my manager in 2007, he took me to London where I got signed to um, Columbia Records, which was a subsidiary of Sony. And so that was really like kind of the real start of things was once I was with Sony over in the UK um, is when I made my first album, Catching a Tiger, which came out in 2010. And that was really like kind of felt like the real start of like things kind of on a grander scale starting to happen for me. Yeah. Really exciting that your parents were so supportive to um, your family. Yes, abs- I mean, absolutely. A 21 year old, you know, head head west and and make her dreams happen too. Um, yeah, well, and I think had I been the oldest, like that might have been different. But like you guys, you know, you know my family. Like my oldest brother Zach. I mean, he was valedictorian and he went to Stanford and he went to Stanford Business School. And you know, Peter was you know, like homecoming King and like was, you know, went to Northwestern and Northwestern medical school and he's a surgeon. And my sister, you know, was also valedictorian and went to Northwestern and Washington university for her master's. And, you know, so I, they all were like super duper impressive and did all the things that like were really exceptional in terms of like grades and, and, and also they're all wonderful people too. But I think, you know, because I was the last one, it was kind of like, well, I'm going to Colorado state because according to my grade point average and like this formula I found on the internet, like I'll get in no matter what. So <laughs> like, I don't need to go to school, uh, every day. I can just kind of like flake out a little bit. Cause I'm going to be a singer. And I think my dad was a little skeptical, but my I think my mom knew I had something in me that was like driven and that my eyes lit up when I sang, she always said. So I think she kind of felt that I, I was like a force to be reckoned with, but yeah. So I was basically like, you know, you're paying for Colorado state. I don't even know what I want to do. If I drop out of college, like, would you help me? You know, I'm saving you tuition essentially. Cause they were kind enough to offer to put us through, you know, undergrad, Um, like I'm really saving you guys a bunch of money. Like, would you, you know, help me make it in LA? And if after like a year, I don't have anything going on, like I'll, you know, move home slash go back to school, come up with like a more practical plan. But I was able to sort of get things going for myself and, and make enough to get by when I got to LA. So it worked out like they were supportive and willing to help me out for a period of time, but I was able to kind of to get it going quickly enough that they saw that I could, could, you know, take care of myself essentially. So it worked out, but yeah, I mean, I think it took a while for anyone really to think that it was a realistic career choice to say, I'm going to be a musician. Like who, who actually succeeds at that, you know? Mm. So. And I saw you do an interview talking about how you were raised to, you know, try to be the best, do everything right. And it's really interesting to hear you talk about your siblings and, you know, their success. And, um, and was that part of, 
you know, at least how I took the interview you were doing, it was sort of like, that was part of why you came back to Iowa, right? Like you, there's so much pressure in California and you decided like, I don't, I don't want to be a part of this. Was there some switch for you that made you decide to sort of leave? You know, we think of LA as the Mecca of music and entertainment business uh, for you to sort of come back to your roots. Like what was the switch for you? Yeah. And I mean, I think there's maybe a two-part answer. Cause I think, I mean, my, my parents are great and they're loving. And I also think just culturally and like America and capitalism and success and like be the best and get to the top. And, you know, like, I don't think it was that my parents made us feel like we had to be the best, but I think subconsciously there was maybe messaging around all of us of like, you know, wanting to be exceptional, wanting to rise to the top, like wanting to be the best. And, um, wherever that messaging was coming from. And I think for me, you know, mine was kind of a ro- a, a different version of that because it wasn't going to be by going to like the best school or having this prestigious career. But for me, it was like, an, I was going to be like a star and I was going to do that. But then I think once I got into my twenties and I was living in LA, I was like, I don't really, you know, I moved to Ojai pretty about five years into LA. I, I, I was trying to kind of get out of LA because I missed nature. Like you mentioned earlier, like I'm, I missed nature. I missed the stars. I missed the quiet and like the sounds of, you know, insects and frogs and like, just, you know, growing up in the Midwest, like space and having a yard and having trees around you and, you know, convenience and, being able to run your errands and have it not take like your entire day because you're stuck in traffic. So I think like LA was never really like the place for me not to bash on it, but um, it seemed like a means to an end. Like this is where I'm going to like make the connections to create a body of work that hopefully will give me some flexibility in the future, you know, like it's kind of paying my dues, so to speak. Um, So I think really though, you know, once I got to Ojai, which was a very beautiful, quiet, small town, um, it was like 2015 that I, you know, I didn't, after my second record on Sony, I ended up getting dropped from my label, which was kind of fine because I was sort of ready to not have to create on such a structured timeline and have so many people's opinions in the mix. Um, but I also had a band for many years who I love dearly that, you know, they were on retainer from the label and I was getting ready to make a new record and was suddenly, you know, independent. And I had some things going on, but I, in March of like 2015, I was in the studio and I really just kind of broke down. Like I thought I actually ended up having like a panic attack. I thought I was having a heart attack, but I think I realized like, I'm not having fun anymore. Like I don't enjoy this. Like music is become stressful. It's not like a source of expression or joy. It's like every song I write, I'm thinking, is this a hit? Who's going to like this song? You know, can I afford to go on this tour? Am I going to be able to pay my band? Like what, you know, what's next? And it was just a lot of pressure trying to keep like so many people. It's like expectations managed that, um, I really did just have like a moment where I was like, I don't, you know, if I'm not enjoying this, then maybe there's something else I can do with my life. And like, I miss the Midwest. Like I miss the seasons. I miss being close to my family. Um, I've always wanted to have a farm, like for what I pay in rent in California, you know, 
it's crazy. I mean, my mortgage is like a third of that. So, and now I'm on a 45 acre farm. So it's just like, uh, there were so many factors at play and sorry, I'm rambling and answering this question. Um, but I think to answer your question, like, yes, I, th I don't think it was that I was buckling under the pressure as much as I was purposefully deciding like, like this, this isn't my definition of success. I think it was redefining what success meant to me. And if it meant like just kind of letting go of all this stuff and starting over and moving back to the Midwest, it's like, I knew one way or another, I was going to find a way to express myself and like build a, build a nice life for myself. But I just, I was tired of letting other people's opinions define what success meant because it didn't feel like success. It didn't make me happy. And so I think it was really around that idea, trying to hone in on what I'm trying to say here of, of feeling like I wanted to define for myself what made a good life rather than having like society's opinions about, you know, rising to the top and being number one of the charts and all that stuff that, and also I was in my thirties too, at that point, you know, you get older, you kind of stop giving a shit. I just, you know, I was just like, and I'm sure that continues as, you know, now I'm about to turn 40 this year. And it's like, yeah, I was like, I just, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care. I, I, that's not what makes me happy. And I'm not, but I think that's you being you know. the, the wild woman again of like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to freaking define my life the way I want to define my life versus the way the industry tells me to define it or the culture determines me, tells me how to define it. So I'm like sort of bowing to you right now. I'm like, yeah, you go figuring out how to define your life in the way that is most meaningful and sane. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I mean, I think it's just so interesting. I mean, I, I wouldn't wish, I wouldn't wish anyone to have to like go through crappy periods of life, but you know, it's sort of like every time I've had kind of a big, like falling apart in my life, it seemed like it, whatever came after it was just like so much more clarity and so much more alignment with what I truly thought, like setting me up for my soul to sort of soar. It's not to sound cheesy, but it's like, I think I needed to kind of fall apart a little bit in March of 2015. And then it was like really quickly, it all became clear. Like I'm moving back to Iowa. I'm going to make music because it makes me happy. And I'm not going to worry about like the reception of it or my standing in my industry. I'm just going to like, just trust that it's going to work out. And it, and it did, you know. A sense of authenticity about you, Lissy, that is I think probably why, you know, when you talk about that connection to Norway and others that, that appreciate that in you, it feels like you found your way back home, literally and figuratively. Um, to yes. Yourself. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you for that. That's a great way of putting it. Um, tell us, because the, the listeners are going to hear your song repeatedly on our podcast. Tell us about Wild West and what that song means to you. Yeah. So, you know, I talked about that time in um, March of 2015, where I had kind of like sort of quietly started writing songs with actually a, a producer songwriter named Kurt Schneider, who I've just, I've just finished a new record and he, he and I wrote and, and he produced it. Um, so I've worked with this guy, Kurt Schneider forever. Um, and so kind of around the time I decided like, oh, I'm leaving, I'm headed back to Iowa. I was still like working on music. Um, just sort of quietly, like not making a big deal out of it, not looping many people into it, 
when I made the album, My Wild West. And so Kurt and I wrote that song, Wild West. And, um, you know, oh, it's so hard sometimes when I'm like, how do I, I how do I explain my songs? Um, you know, it's, I think it's a song about taking a leap of faith and headed out into the unknown and like kind of just trusting that things are going to like, you know, I do sometimes think that in life, like if you don't, if you don't take a chance, I think sometimes we're so afraid of the fallout that we don't do things. But I think there's been times where, you know, this fallout that I had expected actually never came. You know, when I went for it, it was like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be when I did that hard, scary thing. So I think it is a little bit about like, you know, forging into unknown territory. And even sometimes if you have to go it alone, it's like, you know, a bit of a like, I have this in a lot of my songs, sort of this spiritual side of like, just kind of a plea to the universe of like, you know, are you out there to help me shed, shed what no longer serves me and, and forge ahead with like, feeling protected and brave and all those things. So yeah, I think it means not being afraid to go to go off into the unknown and like keep searching. Yeah. And that's why it's so fitting, I think, for our our podcast and and what you know we're gonna be talking to guests and and one another about because you know women let perfection and and other things, uh, others expectations really hold us back sometimes. And so I love I love the timing of when you wrote that song and how you continue to take chances in your life and be as authentic as you can be and, and continue to grow, which is so inspiring, honestly. So thank you for being open. Yeah. And thank, I mean, thank you. And it's, I I think one thing too, I just want to add, which is completely in line with what we're talking about, but I think is worth mentioning is like, you know, for most of my twenties and into my thirties, I mostly was around men and and great men, you know, like my bandmates, my team, you know, a lot of musicians, you know, I, I was almost always just constantly around men and around men and around men. And like, they were all again, like great, great people. And I feel like it wasn't, and I had some great girlfriends for sure, but I wasn't really till I moved back here and in, in Decorah. And also I think like, you know, I'm from the Quad Cities, but live up in Northeast Iowa now. Um, it's not where I'm from. I didn't really know anyone here either. But I'll say like the one thing, one of the good things to come from COVID is that um, I have this like really awesome group of like intergenerational group of women that I'm really close with. Yeah. And that's been awesome. Like we have so much fun together. And I feel like we have a lot of you know, we all are kind of at a different place in our life to like kind of be able to have fun conversations and like kind of there's wisdom there and there's like laughter and um that's been really neat I've really enjoyed having you know my kind of little girl not girl I guess we're women now my my women my gang of women I think there's nothing better than to find your gang of wild women to hang with yeah, right totally it's true and we really that's been a really special you know, I used to tour so much. I didn't really get to like stick around and be part of things, but because of COVID and just hanging out and like, I don't know when I get to ever tour again. So I've been able to really form some super great friendships. And I think, you know, there's something to that too, that I've never really fallen into this category so much, but even in music, it's like women kind of get pitted against each other. It's like you're in competition with each other or, you know, it's something kind of nice about living in Iowa too, like not hanging out with 
bunch of musicians. It's like all my friends have much different jobs and lives than I do. And it's more interesting that way. And not being around this kind of world that kind of keeps women in competition with each other rather than like, you know, together. And that's changing within my industry now, for sure. Like I see a lot more camaraderie, but we're going to have you come back and talk about that. Cause that's one of our topics we want to get into is the weird competition between women and how it actually uh, lessens all of us from being able to be and to go first full circle with where we started today to be in our full light and to shine and to uh, step into our true talents. And I think as women, often we're scared to do that because we, that jealousy that can come from other women, we don't, you know, we're afraid of that. So I think that's really like into- a, yeah, like go a ahead. Bunch of, I was going to say, and we, you know, maybe that's a conversation for another time, but I mean, and not to use this word lightly, cause I know people are saying it and it's a sensitive time for people, but you know, it's really a function of the patriarchy for sure. Absolutely. You know, so we're not afraid to say that word. You're not afraid to say that word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not either, but it's just, it has become like a buzzword that people just throw out, but it's like, it's a function of the patriarchy. And then there's a whole other thing is like, I don't know why periods are a secret, like why we have to like hide our periods and act like we don't have them because my period rule rules like half of my life. Like, and my, boy, my boyfriend's actually here right now. <laughs> He's right looking at me like, why are you talking about that? No, but it is. It's like, we talk about it, right? <laughs> no, I know he's not. He's really supportive of me talking about it, but it is. It's like, I, I have to be like, I'm being to be a weirdo this week. Like I'm, I'm going to be really sad. I'm going to be really anxious. I'm going to be really apathetic. I'm going to be full of this primal rage that I can't explain, you know, like, mm. and it's, it's all consuming, at least for me. I, and I think it's, but I think there might be some truth in the rage that we just squash when it's not time, but I don't know. I think yeah, women get depressed that. instead of rageful. I think women get depressed instead of rageful. And I think we need to be more in rage and anger. It's way more motivating and, you know, anger can really like make big ships culturally. Whereas, oh my gosh. you know, depression just shuts us down and shuts us up. So yeah, no, I mean, I have so, I don't want to get a soft track too, but that's such a fair point. I feel like last summer I, I went through this breakup that was like mid pandemic and it was really shitty circumstances. And I had this one girlfriend here who's, you know, probably five or six years younger than me. And she's now moved back to Washington, but you know, her and I would have these conversations that like, you know, in the Midwest too, a little bit of like, oh, don't be angry. It's like, it's not okay to be angry. And like, especially like women shouldn't be angry. And I think like anger is a really valid and important emotion. And it's not, you know, I felt very patronized as I was navigating this hurt that I did feel like there were certain people that were just made very uncomfortable about by my anger. Like, you know, maybe anger is just a step on the way to sorrow, but it's still a really valid and important part of like an emotional journey. And I think that it should be that there's, there should be more like room to be allowed to experience that, you know? Absolutely. That's yeah. I love that. All right. So we want to know, we have two things left. We want to know, tell us where people can find you online. Tell us about new album performances, anything you want to share. And then we have something fun to end with. Um, yeah, so I can be found at lissy.com, L-I-S-S-I-E.com. 
um, or on like Instagram, it's at Lissy Music. On Facebook, I think it's just like backslash Lissy Music, L-I-S-S-I-E. Um, and yeah, all the information's up there. You know, I, I don't play too many shows since the pandemic, um, understandably so. Uh, I've been trying to be patient and have perspective, but I do have a brand new record that's like 99.9% done. So hopefully by the summer, it'll be out um, with some singles to precede it. Yay. And I just talked to someone who's super intuitive that I really trust and they, um, I can't believe I'm saying this right now. So maybe don't quote me. I'm not going to tell you who this person was, but I totally trust them. They said they think by summer the pandemic's really going to have like petered out. So I'm like, please, please. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's like the Norway shows just kind of out of like an abundance of caution because they've been a little more shut down, but you know, like, I think I'll still do some UK stuff this spring, but there is a sense, I think, for people that once like Omicron spikes that maybe hopefully like it'll kind of just normalize. But, you know, knock on wood, we'll see. It's been fingers crossed. OK, Lissy, so we have rapid fire questions for you to end. And um, so don't think, feel and you're an artist, so I know you have good feeling instincts. So we, we're going to, Kate and I are going to go back and forth, just sort of asking you like super fun questions. So again, just see what comes to mind first. Okay. All right. PJs or in the buff? PJs. Pink or virgin skin? Well, I do have some tattoos, but I wish I didn't. So I'd say virgin skin. Mm. All right. Milk or dark chocolate? Milk chocolate. Hmm. I mean, I know I should say dark, but I like milk. You like the milk. Okay. <laughs> skydiving or scuba diving? Oh, skydiving. Really? I don't think I could ever do that, but I think it's really cool that you say skydiving. Okay. Well, I did. I did it and it was really scary. Did and I it? love it, but I also find the ocean to be pretty spooky. So I think since I've done it, I'll say skydiving. That's pretty amazing. You've done it. Okay. Head or heart? Heart. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Red or white? Red. Sex in the morning or sex at night? Morning. Ah. And last but not least, makeup or au natural? Au natural. Uh... Lissy, this was so great. I so love great. talking to you. You feel like a fellow soul sister. Thank you for sharing uh, your wisdom and your, your story and your authenticity with all of us today. It's been a joy watching, you know, I love watching you perform and I'm excited to, for that to happen again and wish you all the success with the new album. Also, thank you for allowing us to uh, have your song as kind of an inspiration for people on this podcast and, and how it's okay to, to take that step out into the wild, return to who you are. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week.